Please pray with me. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? We stand in awe of you, the wonder-working God who led Israel into victory after victory. You do the same for us today, Father, even as our battles look different. Help us now, Holy Spirit, to fully grasp the holiness, power, and love of our glorious God. Open our heart eyes to see all that you would have us see as we work through this passage of Scripture. Fill me, your servant, with your spirit, that I might speak with your power to the glory of your name. This I ask in the wonderful name of our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What is your battle plan for living a victorious life? Do you have one? To effectively fight any battle, you need a good battle plan. Throughout history, battle plans have been labeled with names that begin with the word operation, like Operation Rolling Thunder, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Desert Storm. I even came across one called Operation Wrath of God. Operation Shock and Awe was the name of the battle plan for the invasion of Iraq in 2003. It was named after a military strategy known as Rapid Dominance. This strategy uses overwhelming power and spectacular displays of force to paralyze the enemy's perception of the battlefield and destroy their will to fight. This battle plan led U.S. soldiers into victory in Iraq. But God's battle plan is always far more shocking and infinitely more awesome. His battle plan in Joshua chapters 3 through 5 could be called Operation Works of Wonder. Our covenant God is the wonder-working God. All the glory for every victory belongs to God, and his battle plan is full of shock and awe. This is what we see in Joshua chapters 3 through 5 as the Lord faithfully leads his covenant people into victory. He does the same for you and me today. The truth about God remains. The Lord faithfully leads his covenant people into victory. That is what we will examine in our three divisions, consecrated victory, commemorated victory, and covenantal victory. Our first division is consecrated victory, Joshua chapter 3. Please open your Bibles and follow along with me. As Joshua chapter 3 opens, Israel sets out from Shittim, comes to the edge of the Jordan River and lodges there. At the end of three days, God's battle plan begins to unfold. Look at verse 3. The officers command the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Joshua instructs Israel to follow the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord as the priest carry it before them. Now the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was an ornate, gold-plated wooden box that was normally housed in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. It was carried on poles by the Levitical priest whenever the Israelites were on the move or went into battle. 
inside the ark were the tablets on which were written the Ten Commandments, a small container of manna, and the budded staff of Moses' brother and Israel's first high priest, Aaron. More important than what was inside the ark is what the ark represented. It symbolized God's powerful and glorious presence with his covenant people. The ark of the covenant was God's tabernacle. His Shekinah glory dwelt in the tabernacle and later the temple. Today, he lives in or indwells believers. Meditate on that for the rest of your life. Christian, God's glory lives in you. He is Emmanuel, the with us, for us, and in us, God. In Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, God faithfully led his covenant people into victory by parting the Red Sea and annihilating the Egyptian army. Their only battle plan was to follow God's presence, which was in a cloud of glory. God trained the Israelites to follow his presence. They followed God's glory cloud out of Egypt and through the parted Red Sea. Then throughout their time in the wilderness, the Israelites followed God's presence in a cloudy pillar by day and a fiery pillar by night. When God's glory cloud settled in a location, Israel settled. When his glory cloud moved, Israel moved. For 40 years, this was Israel's pattern. Now, the Israelites were commanded to once again follow Yahweh's presence by following his glorious presence in the Ark of the Covenant at a safe distance. Look at verse 4. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So verse 4 gives us the reason for the distance, so that Israel would know the way to go in this new land. Proper distance would allow all the people to see the ark as it moved into the unknown land of Canaan. However, throughout Israel's history of living with God, who was tabernacling in their midst. The people had to be careful to keep their distance from the Ark of the Covenant. This is because God is holy, and anyone or anything set apart for him is holy. The Ark of the Covenant was holy because it was God's holy dwelling place with his people. Sinful people could not handle it without dire consequences. The presence and the promised wonders of their holy God is the reason that Joshua tells the people in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. God called the Israelites to be a holy nation, his own covenant nation set apart to accomplish his sovereign plan of redemption. This required the people to consecrate themselves or set themselves apart as God's covenant people for God's use. While the text does not say, in the past the Israelites consecrated themselves by ritual cleansing, fasting, and abstinence from sex. They did this each time God was about to work wonders in their midst. This was no different. Joshua clearly states that the Lord will do wonders among them tomorrow. 
they must prepare for some shock and awe. God would faithfully lead his covenant people into victory with an effective, multifaceted battle plan. Operation Works of Wonder would be preceded by Operation Follow That Ark. In verse 6, Joshua relays a few details of that battle plan to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. The priests obey, but they still do not have God's entire battle plan in view. Preacher Alexander McLaren once said, God often opens his hand one finger at a time. That is what we see as the Israelites walk in true biblical faith, trusting God for what they could not yet see. Israel's history with God helped them trust him and obey him. They had experienced his faithfulness for 40 years in the wilderness. The priests obey and they carry the ark, God's glorious presence, before the people just as they were instructed. Now what? The battle plan continues to unfold as God opens his hand one finger at a time. First in verse 7. God tells Joshua he will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. This was God's promise in Joshua chapter 1. God promised to be with Joshua just as he was with Moses. Even though it is God who faithfully leads his covenant people into victory, he has his chosen human leaders. For 40 years, that leader was Moses. Facing their first big battle without Moses, Joshua, as well as all the Israelites, needed God's assurance that he was Moses' divinely appointed successor. In verse 8, the battle plan continues to unfold as the ark-bearing priests are instructed to come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan and stand still in the Jordan. In verse 10, Joshua says this work of wonder is how the Israelites will know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before them all the pagan peoples dwelling in the land. One more finger of God's hand opens, followed by another in verse 11. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. The Israelites needed to submit to God's very simple battle plan. Operation, follow that Ark. Israel was to follow the glorious presence of the Lord of all the earth as he went before them. John Calvin notes, the title Lord of all the earth here applied to God extols his powers above all the elements of nature in order that the Israelites, considering how seas and rivers are subject to his dominion, might have no doubt that the waters, though naturally liquid, would become stable in obedience to his word. The Lord of all the earth was leading his covenant people into victory through an extraordinary display of his power over all the elements of this earth. 
Operation Works of Wonder followed quickly on the heels of Operation Follow That Ark. God would perform a miracle beyond all human ability or comprehension, a miracle designed to deepen Israel's faith in the one true God. In verse 12, Joshua instructs the Israelites to choose one man from each tribe of Israel. They are not told until later why they must do this. Put yourself in their shoes. Would you have volunteered to represent your tribe? Again, the Israelites needed to trust God with what they did not know or could not see. In verse 13, God finally reveals Operation Works of Wonder. As soon as the ark-bearing priests set their feet in the turbulent waters of the Jordan, he would cut off the flow of the river waters. Imagine the faith it took to carry out that battle plan. Imagine being the first priest to set your feet in the roaring river. In verses 14 through 17, God's hand opens completely to reveal the full battle plan and the people set out to pass over the Jordan. In verses 15 through 16, it tells us that as soon as the ark-bearing priests dipped their feet in the Jordan, the waters were completely cut off, rising in a heap in a faraway city called Adam. At this point, we are told that the Jordan was overflowing its banks because this happened during harvest season. God sovereignly chose the time and the place of Israel's Passover from the wilderness into the promised land. And it was the most impossible time he could have picked. There would be no doubt that the Lord is the one who faithfully led his covenant people into victory. God was training his people for all the battles that lay ahead. He would fight for them. He would gain the victory every last one of them. That is exactly what he does here. Verse 17 tells us that the ark-bearing priest stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. Standing firm on dry ground. Their feet are not sinking down into the muds of a partially dry, partially watery riverbed. They stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan until all Israel passed over the Jordan. This completed God's plan of redemption for his covenant people, which began at the exodus from Egypt, then continued to the shores of the Red Sea where the Israelites were hemmed in with the sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. The mighty presence of the Lord led them into victory by parting the sea. Now, at the shores of the flood-ravaged, turbulent Jordan, God hemmed his people in and carried them safely into the promised land. Just as the Israelites followed God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant, Believers today must follow the Lord if they want to gain the victory in their battles. Our first truth is that believers follow the Lord of all the earth into victory. 
How will you fight the battles you are facing right now? What battle plan will you employ? Believers have what but one battle plan. Operation, follow the Lord of all the earth. He reigns sovereign over everyone and everything. He faithfully leads his covenant people into victory. As my friend Demel Tatum observed, God's presence in us means we are always and eternally firmly on dry ground in the midst of our suffering, our heartbreaking circumstances, and our insurmountable challenges. Operation Works of Wonder proved God's faithfulness to work wonders among his covenant people. He still has the power to part seas and rivers, decimate human armies and spiritual enemies, and advance into the darkness of this world with his incomparably glorious light. He can be trusted. An effective battle plan is rooted in him and his truth. Believe God. Take him at his word. Believers follow the Lord of all the earth into victory. And God-given victory must be commemorated. This is what God commands the Israelites to do in our second division, commemorated victory. That's in Joshua chapter 4. In chapter 4 verses 1 through 7, the writer takes us back to chapter 3 verse 12, where Joshua commanded the Israelites to choose one man from each of the 12 tribes. Joshua chapter 4 verses 3 through 7 tell us why. The 12 tribal representatives are commanded to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, taken from the place where the priest's feet stood firmly on dry ground. They were to take these stones and bring them to the place where Israel was encamped. The Lord instructs his covenant people to use these stones to build a memorial to testify to future generations about the glory of their covenant God. Operation Works of Wonder was a smashing success. The Lord of all the earth's promised victory in the promised land had begun with the victory over the raging Jordan River. David Jackman writes, God does wonders for his people, and what he promises by his word, he accomplishes by his power, and so seals his predictions by his actions. There could not be a more magnificent, God-glorifying beginning to the conquest of the land. But fallen human beings possess frail and faulty memories. We need memory aids so we never forget the magnificent power of our wonder-working God that leads his covenant people into victory. A word of caution about that victory. Victory for believers does not mean he saves us out of every difficulty in the way that we imagine or engineer. While he can and does perform miracles, most of the time, Believers must simply trust God and obey his word as it is revealed in the Holy Bible. His works of wonder sometimes whisper as God responds to prayer. 
redirects wills, reshapes hearts, and restores souls. We also do not follow God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant. We follow something, or should I say someone, far greater, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ saved us from our sins by dying on the cross in our place. In victory, he rose to new life and sent his Holy Spirit down to tabernacle in or indwell his covenant people. Believers are his temple now. He guides us into victory as we walk by faith in obedience to his word, a faith and obedience empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We commemorate this mind-blowing truth by daily surrendering to his lordship and applying his word to the circumstances of our lives. In verses 8 through 10, the Israelites surrendered to the lordship of their covenant God by doing exactly as Joshua commanded. Joshua set up the 12 stones carried out of the Jordan as a memorial to their God-given victory. Verses 12 through 13 hint at another battle plan and show the obedience of the two and a half tribes already given allotments of land on the wilderness side of the Jordan. When they received that land, they promised Moses they would fight alongside the other tribes to conquer the promised land. Together with, about, with the rest of the Israelites, verse 13 says about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. The Lord was preparing Israel for the Operation Judge Jericho part of Operation Works of Wonder. Chapter 4 verses 14 through 18 record God's faithfulness to exalt Joshua just as he promised in Joshua 3.7. This happened on the very day Israel passed over the Jordan River. Verse 14, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Verses 15 through 18, retell the victory of Operation Works of Wonder. Once Israel had safely passed over, the ark-bearing priest came out of the Jordan, and the moment the soles of their feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. God punctuated the end of his miracle with a, an exclamation point. This was a God-given victory. Then in chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, with Israel encamped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho's border. Joshua set up the 12 stone memorial, then instructed the Israelites to recount to their children how God's almighty and all-sufficient hand had worked wonders to lead his covenant people into victory over the Jordan River. The reason for commemorating this God-given victory is in verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God 
forever. For this compelling reason, believers commemorate God-given victory. That's our second truth. Believers commemorate God-given victory. What memory aids help you commemorate what God has done for you? How could you tell the peoples of the earth about your God-given victories? And who in your life needs to know that the hand of the Lord is mighty? Believers should celebrate every victory from God's mighty hand. Name them. During World War II, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill urged military leaders to come up with valiant names for battles so no mother of a fallen soldier need say that her son was killed in an operation called Bunny Hug or Ballyhoo. As believers, we commemorate Operation New Covenant. When we take communion, this sacred meal celebrates the God-given victory over sin and death through his son's death on the cross. It also celebrates God's covenant promise to one day return in final victory. Believers commemorate Operation New Life in Christ through baptism. This celebrates the God-given victory over our old sin nature and our new life in Christ. Operation Glorify God is commemorated when we worship God in spirit and in truth. That is, led by the Holy Spirit and steeped in God's word. Such worship celebrates his sovereign reign of victory over our lives and our commitment to walk in God-glorifying obedience. Commemorating God-given victories strengthens our faith and prepares us for the next battle. Believers must commemorate God-given victories. These remembrances also keep us mindful of our status as God's chosen, beloved, covenant children. Joshua chapter 5 speaks of the victory that belongs to God's covenant people. So our third division is covenantal victory. Now Joshua chapter 5 opens with the reaction of the pagans living in the promised land to the arrival of God's covenant people. They are crushed in spirit. In verse 1, we learn that all the kings in the promised land heard what the Lord had done for his covenant people, and their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them. Operation Works of Wonder was a wonder even to Israel's enemy. The Lord of all the earth powerfully announced his arrival as his glory or his magnificent presence went before his covenant people. His overwhelming power and spectacular display of force melted their hearts in fear. Imagine how the war-ready soldiers felt at that moment. Operation Works of Wonder pumped them up to march in with confidence and take possession of their inheritance, the promised land. They knew their God would faithfully lead them into victory. But God presses the pause button by commanding two symbolic acts to underscore Israel's covenant with them, circumcision 
and the celebration of the Passover. Circumcision is the subject of chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. In verse 2, the Lord commands Joshua to make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Verses 4 through 7 give us the reason. All the adult males who came out of Egypt had perished in the wilderness because of their disobedience. God raised up their children as the new Israel. Circumcision was an outward sign of their covenant relationship with God, the one who is faithful to fulfill all his covenant promises. He had just proven himself faithful to lead Israel into the land he promised to give Abraham and his descendants hundreds of years before. The Israelites needed to trust in God's awesome power and unchanging faithfulness. Great challenges lay ahead in the conquest of the promised land. The timing of their circumcision is interesting. It occurs when the fighting men of Israel needed to be healthy, strong, and courageous. Instead, God commands what is essentially a wounding of the war-ready men. It takes an adult male 10 to 14 days to heal from a circumcision. But this was a necessary delay. In verse 9, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Israel's redemption from Egypt is now complete after 40 long years. Total redemption was their own was theirs only as they entered into the promised land. If their redemption had not been completed in this way, the reproach or the scorn of Egypt would have remained. God would prove to be a futile God who did not have the power to fulfill his promises. This, of course, is not true. God is a living God, a promise-keeping God, who faithfully leads his covenant people into victory. This is always cause for celebration. In chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Israel celebrates the Passover while encamped at Gilgal. The Passover commemorated the angel of death passing over all who had the lamb's blood on their door frames during the last plague in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, God appointed the observance of the Passover feast as an everlasting statute for all future generations. Verse 12 tells us that after the Israelites celebrated their first Passover in the promised land, the manna stopped falling from heaven. God's faithful provision of manna for 40 years was no longer needed. Israel had entered the land flowing with milk and honey, a land full of fresh produce and grain. These were the delicious spoils of their victorious entry into the promised land. Upon crossing the Jordan, Joshua experiences a divine encounter with the one who would lead Israel into victory. In chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, Israel's preparation and initial entry into the promised land transitions to the conquest of the promised land. 
Verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. When Joshua asks this man if he is for Israel or for their adversaries, he says in verse 14, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Who is the commander? of the army of the Lord? While some disagree, many well-respected theologians believe he is none other than Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Son of God, the divine warrior, and his army are with Israel. The glorious truth is that God faithfully leads his covenant people into victory. The commander of the Lord's army encourages Joshua by appearing to him, and he makes it clear that he is not for Israel, and he is not for their adversaries. He is there to do the will of the Lord. He is not under Joshua's command. Joshua and the Israelites are under his command. Joshua's response further highlights the fact that this man is the pre-incarnate Christ. He falls on his face in worship. And the sword-wielding man accepts his worship. In verse 15, he tells Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. This verse vividly recalls the account of Moses at the burning bush, underscoring that Joshua is indeed God's hand-picked successor to his servant Moses. Like Moses, Joshua responds by worshiping his covenant-keeping, victory-giving God. Believers are in covenant with the same victory-giving God. Our third and final truth is that believers are in covenant with a victory-giving God. In which of your current circumstances do you need God to give you victory? Employ Operation Face Plant. Fall on your face before him and worship him. Which past God-given victories will inspire your worship? And how will you give him all the glory he deserves? Faced with challenging circumstances, the Christian battle plan is Operation Shield of Faith. Ultimately, the battle plan for believers is rooted in the promise of 1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith prompts us to believe God and triumph over Satan's temptations. Faith reminds us that even when we cannot see the fulfillment of God's promise, God is unfailingly true to his word. He is a victory-giving God. Is his victory your victory? If so, activate Operation Praise the Victory-Giving Lord. Fall on your face and worship him. What is your battle plan? 
Does it lead to a God-given victory? Whether your victory comes in the wilderness of this world or in the ultimate promised land of heaven, it comes from the hand of our almighty God. His provision is perfect and all-sufficient. Trust him. He faithfully leads his covenant people into victory with wonder-working power. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord God, you are the faithful Lord of all the earth. We can trust you to set our feet firmly on dry ground, victorious over every trial and temptation as we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we lift our praise and our prayers. Amen.